had met with Tommy Valencia a little while back. We were talking about this study. Greg Laurie. Tell someone. You may not know who Greg Laurie is. Awesome pastor. He did this study, and it was about evangelism. So take it in time. He's like, watch it. See what you think, man. This is strong. This is strong. You know, we're talking. We're saying this would be an awesome thing for life groups. And I watched it, and God was like, how important is this to you? How important is this subject to you? I've said before that when God allows you to be aggravated by something, I believe that that's his prompting that you are part of the solution. And that's tough. And one of the things that I have said as a pastor is that I long for the day when this church is a place that we see the lost coming home on a regular basis. When we see the chains of who they are falling on a regular basis. When we are so about inviting other people that our regulars are standing up wondering where their seat went. And when I don't see it, there are times that it'll break my heart. And not, not against, and it's not that. It's that we can be this subculture that doesn't affect culture. And so when I prayed, here's what I thought. I talked to Tommy this week, and I said, you know what? Let's roll with this. Let's roll with it on Sunday mornings. Let's take it and take this information, this very good information, and let's roll with it on a Sunday morning. And so what we're going to do for the next few weeks is we're going to be looking at evangelism. We're going to be looking at the Great Commission. We're going to be taking this awesome information that Greg Laurie put out and filtering it through the Holy Spirit and what God wants to say for this church, and we're going to roll. So bear with me. Here's my question. When was the first time that you heard the gospel message? You heard it, like it got inside your spirit. When was that first time? Because a question and one of the things that we say as a church is know your why. Know your why. Why do you do things? There is a verse in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5.17, that says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. My why is because I want to see a life of sin fall away. I want to see the weight of the world of who someone was fall away as they fall in love with Jesus Christ. That is my why, and that is what I long to see. Do you remember when you felt brand new in Jesus? Do you want other people to feel that as well? Evangelism. We say the word, and it's a word that makes a lot of Christians cringe. That's the word going around now. That's cringy. You mean go up to a stranger and begin to talk to them about religion, about Jesus? No, don't talk to them about religion. Talk to them about your relationship with Jesus Christ. Right there, we have a choice. It's either the great commission or we begin to have the great omission. Greg Laurie said this in his video. He said, I believe that for me not to share my faith with other people, it would be a sin. He builds that on James 4.17 that says, to him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is what? Sin. 
A sin of commission? Doing something we know we shouldn't do. A sin of omission? Not doing something that we know that we know that we should do. I do not want to stand before God and say I lived a good life of omission. Whenever I walk on the pier at Myrtle Beach, I always think I'm going to look out and I'm going to see someone struggling in the water. I don't know why I think that. Imagine if I did see someone struggling in the water and I just kept walking. Drinking my yoo-hoo, just walking. It would be wrong. As they go under the water, it would be wrong for me just to live according to the way I think I should live and enjoy my vacation because I deserve it. But how many people do we walk past on a regular basis that are going down for possibly the last time? Here's a statistic. It is said that 95% of Christians have never led another person to Jesus Christ. That hurts. The truth is that it's hard sometimes to do what this Great Commission tells us to do because it's personal. Evangelism, it should be an exciting thing. It should be an adventure. The best kind of adventures are the ones that I don't control the outcome. It is said that God's not looking for the most qualified. He is looking for the available. Billy Graham was one of the greatest soul winners that there were. Billy Graham couldn't have been everywhere at once. God has called you by the water cooler. God has called you when you're in the break room. God has called you when you're at the store. God has called you when you're at the family event. God has called you. Are you making yourself available to do what he needs you to do? Jesus said in Luke 15, 7, there is joy or happiness in heaven every time a lost sinner believes. If there can be happiness in heaven, then I want there to be joy on earth because we're so about it. There's no greater privilege in my mind than the privilege of sharing Jesus Christ with someone else. Sharing this gospel should bring us joy. It is not something that we are doing under compulsion. It's not something that we have to do. It is something that we want to do. We want to do it. It is second nature. It is a privilege. It is an opportunity. It says in Psalm 126.6, those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying their sheaves with them. Life can be hard. Yes, life can hit you hard. I'm not going into the rocky thing. Life can hit you hard. But there is this idea that even when there are tears in my eyes, I have the opportunity to sow good seed for Jesus Christ. And everywhere that I throw seed, I may not see a plant come up. Someone else may see it come up. But am I going to do what God called me to do? Because there are going to be harvests that I'm a part of reaping that I had no part in planting, but someone else was faithful. Will you be faithful to the greatest things that Christ calls you to? In 3 John 1, 4, John says this, I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. Acts 20, 35 says, remember the words of the Lord Jesus when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. There is a heart of happiness when you give. When I was younger, I wanted my stuff. 
I wanted the Star Wars Millennium Falcon, and I wanted this, and I wanted that. I wanted a bullwhip, which I got. Don't ask me why my parents bought me a bullwhip. Many marks were left on me from this when I would try to use it. I was my own worst enemy. <laughs> but we do a family gift exchange, and as I've gotten older, there's a joy in seeing people get something that brings them joy. And so I drew my sister Kristen's name one year. And Kristen, she's this travel agent. She's all about everything Disney, right? And so I got her name, and I told Dina as soon as I got her, I know what I want to get her. I know what I want to get her. And so I found this vintage uh, Walt Disney World park map from, like, when it first opened, and I had it framed. And I was so excited for the gift exchange. I'm like, I want to go first. I want to give my person's thing first. And when she opened it, it was so cool to be able to give her something that she would not have gotten herself. But because I'm weird, I thought of it. <laughs> Again, it's not about the most qualified. It's about the available. God has a way of using the least qualified person in the least comfortable situation to do his work i'm telling you that's when it's going to happen that's how it's going to be see i did not think of myself like growing up you know what i never said i never said i want to be a pastor you know what i wanted to be i wanted to be a war photographer that's what i wanted to do because see, when you watch a video, a video tells you how you're supposed to feel and think. But a photograph, a still photograph, it's just so moving. It forces you to get into it. Full disclosure. Before that, do you know what I wanted to be, Kevin? Speed racer. <laughs> Guess that wasn't an option. And it's wild because the more that ministry became a possible way for me to go, I would remember going into a room and I would run into no one who was like me at times. No, show up to camp meeting and be like, oh, no one else is wearing a Simpsons t-shirt. <laughs> but it's all good. I thought I didn't have anything to say, but I'm learning that that's exactly the kind of person that God will use. See, when God called Moses in Exodus 4, Moses does his best to plead with God not to send him. God, I'm not very good with words. I get tongue-tied. God says to him, go, and I'll be with you when you speak. I will instruct you with what to say. And Moses goes, but Lord, send someone else. Send someone else. You may use every excuse in the book. I'm an introvert. The last thing I want to do is stand in front of people. I can't be that person. You know, Jeremiah, when he was called, it is said that he was 18 years old or younger. Moses, when he was called, was 80 years old. You go through these lists. They do this in church every once in a while, but it's good to hear the reminder. You know, Noah went from a place of finding grace in the eyes of the Lord to pretty much being an alcoholic in a cave. Abraham was old. Jacob was a liar. The disciples in Jesus' time of need in the garden went to sleep. Double whammy for Peter when Peter wakes up from his nappy nap, then he denies Jesus. Right? Like, dude. Said that Timothy had an ulcer. I can relate. So I say, tell me again, what is the excuse that we're getting the most mileage out of when it comes to not telling people about Jesus Christ? 
We offer excuses, but excuses aren't truly reasons. God is searching for that availability. We need to fulfill the Great Commission so that we don't stagnate spiritually. This may sound mean what I'm about to say, but I don't want to be fed more. Not that I think I've heard it all, but I want to get to a place where I'm living dangerously for God. We'll get to that Baker Mayfield place in faith where I wake up feeling dangerous and wanting to do things for God. And hopefully I will perform better than Baker Mayfield when it comes to those things. But I want to be in that place. I want to enter a place where the Great Commission is second nature. As I said before, he did not call us to isolate as a subculture. He called us to infiltrate the culture, to begin to see change. Alan has said several times, the reason the Dead Sea is the Dead Sea is because everything flows into it and nothing flows out. I don't want to be in a place where it's just like, feed me, feed me, feed me, and I'm doing nothing. Spiritually, that will get me nowhere. When the church becomes like the equivalent of, give me this picture, of the CC's buffet. I got to a place I didn't even want to go in there. You know why? Because it'd be like, I CC you, welcome. And I'd be like, oh, come on. And you go to Lee, you'd be like, CC you later. Like, CLC you later. Come on in, CLC. Like, I don't want that. I don't want to be in a place where I hoard. When Dina was younger, it was said she was very sentimental with things and didn't want to get rid of them. She has done a complete 180 of those things, and now she gets rid of many of my things. <laughs> when it comes to hoarding, I had seen a picture taken by a first responder of a home on the west side, and it was of someone who had been hoarding. And when they had hoarded, what happened was they had begun to take things, and they had to keep it all. And they, they kind of blurred the lines between what was needed and what wasn't needed. And it came to a place where they would say things like, yeah, like, I just don't use some rooms anymore. Like the bathroom. <laughs> no, and like, that's a necessary room. But they came to a place where their mind had gotten so twisted about what was needed or not needed that it made perfect sense for the bathroom to be filled with old newspapers. Spiritually, I don't want to be there. I do not want to be in a place where I just... I can't even walk the right way because there's so much in the way. I don't want to just say more, more, more. No, I don't mean that and don't misunderstand that in a way I pray for God's blessing on this family. But it is said that we are blessed to be a blessing, so it's time to begin blessing. God didn't give you the truth to hoard. He gave it to you to share. It's time to share. In Isaiah 58, God's people found themselves in a place. They were dried up spiritually. They didn't know why. They thought they were doing all the right things. But God, in the way that he gently does, pointed out the error of their ways. And where God points things out, he will give you the grace and he will spotlight what you need to do in order to get out of that place. In Isaiah 58, 11, it says the Lord will guide you continually, giving you water where you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden and an ever-flowing stream. We are to flow because people need what we have. If you're feeling spiritually dry right now, maybe it's a sign you need to start flowing. Give and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That is a spiritual principle that to this day, I want to see us experience. Truth, 
innately, we do not like to share things. True for any kid. But it's also true spiritually at times. When I was a kid and I was given something, James, you can attest to this, right? Who got to play with my toys? Nobody. Because <laughs> I was like, what? Other kids, like, they don't value Darth Vader like I do. They may break him. But spiritually, it can be like that. You want to see it in action? Then ask your child when you buy them a Happy Meal. I know anyone who's like, I do not give my kids those processed things. You know, a hamburger may take three years and not even dissolve. Don't go there. We all feed our kids McDonald's. But when your kid gets fries, ask them for a fry and see what they give you. They will either reach between the seats or they will reach for the fossilized thing that's in the napkin and they will give it to you and be like, here. (laughs) Spiritually, that's how we can be. Just go here. I remember growing up. (laughs) Go out to eat. We come up with our plan. I had one friend who would always be like, what are you getting? He'd be like, let's just split some skins, potato skins. They never wanted to get their own entree, and they could. And I always knew what splitting some skins would mean. It would mean that, like, I would look at the plate, like, hey, you're going to share? And they'd be like, they didn't want to share the skins, but they wanted to eat the wings that I ordered. (laughs) We get to a place where we will hoard what we think is ours, and then we will start taking from other people spiritually, and that's not a healthy place to be. That great commission, that going into all the world, it begins with caring. It begins with compassion. Here's a tough question. Do you really care about people who do not know Jesus Christ yet? Here's the church answer. Yes. Emphatically, yes. But do we really? When was the last time that you engaged someone with the message of Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing that's happening, and this is so wild that this was part of that study because we were just talking about it. It says that as society creeps into the church, we do something. We begin to see those who are bound by sin as the enemy. And the devil has come full circle because he has gotten us to think the devil's no longer the enemy. Those people are your enemy. Don't you dare open your door to those people. Number one, it's not my door. (laughs) We need to get to the place where we understand that they are bound by sin as we were bound by sin. Because there's this thing when we're a saint of God for so long that we begin revisionist history that how we were was so much a lighter shade of sin than what's going on now in the world. You know what? If I believe what the Bible says about sin giving way to death, then the sin that I committed, if I didn't put it under the blood, I would have gone to hell. And we need to have that urgency when it comes to the world. They aren't the enemy. They are captives. They need Jesus just as desperately as I needed Jesus. Acts 17, Apostle Paul, it said his spirit was stirred when he went into Athens and he saw that they were given over to idolatry. When you read that wording about him being stirred, it means that he was righteously indignant. He's mad. 
we need to get to a spiritual place. Like I said, you ever just want to pick a spiritual fight? Not, you know, with another Christian. With the enemy. Like just walking around like, what enemy? What? You're not going to do that. No, no. Those people are important. You are not going to get your way doing that. When it comes to the gospel, we'll either be a bridge or we will be a barrier. We'll be a stepping stone or a stumbling block. But it's time for us to understand isolating as we do at times in the way that it's comfortable will not bring the world to Jesus Christ. Dial it in. How does Jesus feel? Lays it out how he feels. Luke chapter 15. There are three main points in that chapter. The first one, he talks about a shepherd who loses a sheep, first seven verses. Verses 8 to 10, he talks about a woman who lost a coin. And verses 11 to 32, he talks about a father who lost a son. Now, when we talk about church and you talk about being a sheep, you picture yourself this way. You're like, that's me. I frolic. Okay, you ever go to Geauga County Fair? At the sheep bin? This is us. If you go in there, like we always laugh, like they'll look right at you, be right by your face, and they will make this like yelling noise. And again, and and like, Dino, what's it doing? Doesn't sound intelligent. It doesn't act intelligent. Like on our own, we are defenseless. On our own, we are made to be eaten up by something unless we have a shepherd. A sheep will not bite its way out of trouble. It will not claw its way out of trouble. And they can't really run. When the Bible talks about us being sheep, get that frolicking picture out of your head. You have a shepherd, he has 100 sheep, one of the sheep goes astray, he leaves the 99 to go look for the one, and he will not quit until he finds that one. And when he finds it, it says in Luke 15, 7, I say to you likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Every single time someone believes in Jesus Christ, applause breaks out in heaven. What kind of honor would it be for this church family to have the impact that we're causing heaven to applaud several times a day? Because we're bringing people to Jesus Christ. The next thing, woman who lost a coin. Back in those days when someone would get married, a bride would wear a headband, and in that headband there were coins. And so when this bride lost a coin, it was like the equivalent of a lady losing the cubic zirconia that her husband bought her off of her wedding ring. No, it's a diamond, really. (laughs) How hard would you search? I mean, Mona, she lost a diamond, right? How hard did you search for that thing? Looking down, how'd that feel when you just saw the setting and no, no stone? I mean, you're, you search. Tell you a different story, though. I found the diamond up here one day when we were praying. Because I'm just like that, I guess. I should have been paying more attention, but I found a diamond in the floor. So, good reason to come to church. You may find a diamond. <laughs> when she looked everywhere and she found that coin, though, 
Jesus says in Luke 15, 10, in the same way there's joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. And so he paints this picture and he, he puts it out there so you can begin to understand from a few different angles how the father sees the lost. Then you have this story in verses 11 through 32. Charles Dickens, the prolific author, said that the story of the prodigal son is the greatest short story that was ever told. It's a story that can be told in any culture because it resonates. Because wherever there is a parent, there is a parent's love for their child. Wherever there are children who go astray, there is a broken-hearted parent. And that love is something that can be felt by so many. Greg Laurie said this. He said, if God were to take a selfie, the story of the prodigal son would be what you would see. It is core to our church. It is something that before we became the head pastors here that we felt like God was just stamping on our heart. Regardless of where you go in ministry, do not get far away from that feeling of the father taking a breath to run toward his lost son. Never forget it. So God's like this father who has two sons. When that son goes astray, it breaks the father's heart. The son goes to his father and he demands his share, his portion of the inheritance. Imagine the disrespect there. It's almost like saying, Father, I know that I'm supposed to receive this when you pass away, but you're taking too long to die. Can I have what's mine? And I imagine the brokenhearted father, as he gives the son that portion, how he must have felt. And so the son goes away to a faraway land, and he partakes in all of the things that you can imagine. The women, the lifestyle, the partying, all of it. He gets to a place where the money is gone, and for those of you who have been in the world, you understand when the money runs out, the circle of friends can change. When you quit buying rounds, the circle of friends changes. When you quit being the good time friend, it changes. I was there. And I remember that feeling. I remember pulling into this church. And wondering, what will people think? What will they think of me? You have this kid, and can you imagine? I mean, for a Jewish kid, the worst thing that you could get a job doing was feeding pigs, and that's what he's doing. He's so down on his luck that he's looking at the pig slop and thinking, this is a good choice, and it hits him, and he thinks, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back to my father, and I'm just going to tell him, Father, you know what? I'm not even worthy to be called your son anymore, but hire me on as your servant. Hire me on. And then I picture the father. She got my back. 
picture that father, and in modern terms, I picture him sitting in that recliner looking out in that driveway. And every time that it looks like a car pulls in to turn around or whatever, he's thinking, is that them? They're back. They're back. And so it says, as he sits and he's looking, he sees something that looks familiar at the end of the road. It's his son. He breaks into a run. And as he runs, he says this. He says, rejoice with me. He's screaming to everyone. He's not just saying, guys, I'm so ashamed of the things my son's done, and it's cost me reputation, cost me everything. And boy, people may say I'm foolish for giving him that portion to empower him to go make these choices. But he runs and he says, rejoice with me. My son who was dead is alive again. That is the Jesus that we serve. See, the son didn't even get to finish the speech that he was coming up with because the father's arms were around him before he could open his mouth. That is the Jesus that I serve. It is said that in that culture, it was undignified for an older man to run. That's the picture of the God that I serve. The world's idea of what dignity looks like. Of what someone coming to the altar should look like. My God turns it on its head. And he runs when other people say, oh no, no. It's not how this works. That's how I want my heart to be. That's how I want this church to be. I'm going to be closing. That wording, go. That great commission, go. Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. You know what? When I do it God's way, you know what it's going to cost me? Jason, it's going to cost me some dignity. It's going to cost me some comfort. I love dignity and I love comfort. But you know what? For the sake of seeing the chains fall off, I'm willing to lay it down. The Apostle Paul said this, Colossians 1.28, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, in all wisdom, that means everything we know about Jesus Christ, that we may present every man perfect. In other words, bring them to a fully mature place in Jesus Christ. That is what the Great Commission is. To break it down, it's to lead people to Christ. To break it down, it's to help them get on their feet spiritually. To get them growing in the right direction. To help them mature. And when they do, to do it again. And again. This church should be a continuous cycle of people who are clueless about Jesus Christ coming to know him. People who are green in Jesus Christ, growing in maturity in him. The saints of God understanding their place and their presence at the table in guiding these young Christians, both men and women. 
And then it is to let people know that this gospel is so important that it doesn't stay here. That what was done in your life needs to be done in the lives of others. That's the cycle. That's the commission. Jesus says in John 4.35, Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Second part to that that always bugged me, because I know what it means. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he'd send somebody. You know who he's going to send? You. If you care enough to pray about it, then you're probably the one he's going to send. Spoiler alert. God is looking for someone who's not afraid to get their hands dirty. He's looking for someone just like you. As a church, let us not be guilty of the sin of omission, but let us be about God's work. When we do what we're called to do, we will see blessing on a level that we never have before. We will see a vibrance in this house that we never have before. We will see God bringing in the parts of the body to complete the work that we need to do that we never even imagined we're missing. That's who the God I serve is. That is what he does. If you stand, we're going to pray. Tommy, I'd like to thank you personally for putting that study in my hands because I'm telling you, it's gotten in me. Let's bow our heads. Father, right now, I pray that you would ignite something within us. Allow us to take the things that we have over-spiritualized and bring them to a level of putting our feet one in front of the other in obedience. And Father, I pray that we will see the world differently. For everyone that we have declared an enemy of the kingdom, I pray, God, that you will let us see them as being held captive. And Father, I pray that you will allow that righteous indignation to rise up in us where we're ready to tear off some chains. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray.